Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by Matt Fortuna. This is not quite an emergency podcast uh, because we knew there was a big announcement coming today. Uh, Notre Dame has a new ACC schedule. There's a ton to unpack with that. Um, We also have a little bit of injury news with Kevin Austin uh, and a former quarterback, which fits into the ACC schedule, Phil Dracovic, now now eligible. Um, Matt... I guess your initial takeaway after seeing the uh, Notre Dame schedule coming out not 10 years in advance, but about four weeks in advance of the schedule starting. I think you have to start with Navy, Um, even though we both had gotten strong intuition late last night that this was what it was going to be. It was going to be Western Michigan. That was Notre Dame's originally scheduled home game, uh, and Navy was a scheduled road game. Uh, But I just, I'd love to, uh, excuse me, I'd love to be a fly on the wall or hear the conversations or see whatever uh, upcoming announcement there may be between Jack Swarbrick and Chuck Gladchuck, the uh, longtime athletic director at, at Navy. Two guys who have a great relationship, who are very well respected in the business, and who are uh, gatekeepers to, in my opinion, one of, if not the greatest rivalry in college football. That, to me, uh, just not seeing Navy on the schedule, not, I mean, I, it's very easy for me to say while recording a podcast, not operating a, a schedule amid a pandemic, to say, why and how could you not do everything humanly possible to make this game happen? Um, if you already moved it from Dublin to Annapolis, why can't you just move it from Annapolis to South Bend? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I look forward to hearing the answers or explanations behind that uh, and seeing what Navy's getting out of it because that's this is their home year. Um, and there's a yeah. reason they take this game to a big uh, venue or an international venue every other year because this is a major, major event. Uh both for both programs and obviously for the historical significance. So uh, we'll get to the ACC breakdown and the path to Charlotte for a conference championship game. But first things first for me, Navy is the one that uh, is hard for me to wrap my head around. I mean, it makes it seem like even less of a Notre Dame schedule than it is, right? right. It's like when USC came off, you're like, all right, well, at least Navy's on there. Because that, that sort of moors the schedule to like Notre Dame's traditions. That's gone, um, you know, and, and I get it that that schedule scheduling Navy felt more like an obligation many years than something Notre Dame actually wanted to do. But it's you know it it's not God blank Notre Dame, it's God country Notre Dame, and you know that Navy is a huge part of that. So to to take that off is. I don't know. It's kind of unnerving to to look at the schedule and not see Navy on there. Um, and then you know it's it's a little ironic, isn't it? Like Notre Dame is pl- playing Navy for so long, and they get accused of ducking uh, more capable opponents by keeping the Navy schedule, and so they drop Navy for Western Michigan. Um, you know, that's that's a game that doesn't move the needle at all. It, I think, it's a fair uh, critique of the ACC to say like this plus one is just a waste of time. I, I don't understand what the point of the plus one is if it's not Navy for Notre Dame, if it's not South Carolina for Clemson, if it's not Georgia for Georgia Tech, if it's not Kentucky for Louisville, like why are we doing the plus one? I don't I don't understand it at all. Well the SEC is to blame for a lot of that because they decided to go conference only and not cooperate with the ACC um, in keeping those in, in interconference in state rivalries like Clemson, South Carolina and so forth. But But then just scrap it. I mean like everything, oh, right? Right. Oh, on the, the extra fly. game, you mean? Yeah, yeah no, I just, agree. Just I agree. Kill it. Or I mean, 
people forget North Carolina and Wake Forest played each other a non-conference game last year. What was keeping ACC schools from just adding each other as their 11th game? Uh, that wouldn't count in the league standings if you're that desperate for inventory. Uh, I, I, the in-state, the, the rule that the ACC had put out last week saying the non-conference opponent game had to be played in the state of an ACC school, which obviously Indiana fits into. For I mean, naturally. How do, can you at least say current or former ACC member? Yeah. Because then you've got Maryland and you can just play Navy and Annapolis as previously scheduled. And ta-da. Um, I know Notre Dame isn't like a full-on ACC member and probably can't just like bang that drum the way a Clemson or a Florida State could as far as like make another exception for us. But well, it's like, what, it's, like, what does the ACC care, honestly? Like, right. I, I don't understand why John Swaffer is, would be like, no, I'm sorry. We cannot make an exception for you to play this harder game, which would make it easier for the rest of our well, schools to beat you think later. Think of how many diff- – I don't want to say different rules. Like, Think about the, the different rules there are for service academies. They have 14 assistant coaches, not 10. They have bigger roster. Like, I just feel like it was a very easy concession for someone to make here to make that game happen. And I know now Notre Dame has six home games instead of five, but like, what's that really mean if you're probably not going to have fans and tailgating and all the other financial implications that come with that? Yeah. Well, before we really dive into the schedule, please, uh, as a reminder, if you like this podcast, The Shamrock, give us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. Um, Leave your thoughts on the show, you know, what you'd like, you know, where we can move it forward. You know, you can even make a guest suggestion if you like. But, uh, it definitely helps with the show if you give us five-star reviews uh, moving forward. The ACC schedule, let's get into those 10 games. Um, I am completely shocked uh, the way the ACC put this together for Notre Dame. I, I thought they were going to really put the screws to Notre Dame because it, it's sort of been a running joke around the Goog of, oh, another bye week before uh, for an ACC opponent before facing Notre Dame. I mean, you got... Open weeks before Florida State and North Carolina, uh, and notable that Florida State and North Carolina are also open before facing Notre Dame, but uh, that's, a, that's a fair fight. You have a three-game run-in in September of Duke, Western Michigan, and Wake Forest before that first bye week, and then you get into the Seminoles. Um, the Clemson game stayed on November 7th. I thought they would move that up. Uh, and then Clemson actually had games added before Notre Dame where – that is now, I think, the sixth game in consecutive weeks for Notre Dame. Um, or, I'm sorry, for Clemson. They have to play six straight games, and Notre Dame is the sixth. So, it, um, man, I just think the ACC, it, in a really bizarre set of circumstances, they, they sort of greased the wheels or skids for Notre Dame to actually make it to Charlotte for a second time um, in the ACC championship game. Yeah, I thought they would move that Clemson game too. I mean, when you look at what's been happening around the country, um, particularly yesterday with the Big Ten, yeah, um, Ohio State, Michigan is now being played on October twenty fourth because we want to assure that game gets in or come as close to assuring that game can get in. Um, I don't know why you wouldn't do that for Notre Dame, Clemson, and you know, hypothetically, if we get to this point, um, if these two teams are as good as we all project them to be. Uh, you probably have a rematch in a month, and I think yeah. you would rather space that out, right? I mean, seasons yeah. are long. Teams get better. Teams get worse, uh, as we saw when Notre Dame played Clemson uh, the first time in 2015. So I, I that one surprised me. The open dates, I mean, it worked out well for Notre Dame. No no complaints, I'm sure, from out of South Bend with that one. No. Uh, I do think it's probably a little bit trickier given the 
lack of flexibility everyone had. I think, you know, just taking a quick scan at it. Duke on October 24th and Pittsburgh on December 5th, I think, are the only single-team bye weeks. I mean, there were pretty set weeks where three, four, five teams would be off, or six teams would be off, uh, just to keep those dates open in case you need to reschedule. Um, and as a side note, love scheduling graphics. I'm glad there are names in a conference just so I can see that because they're really fun to look at and make this much, much easier to digest and analyze. Uh, but but yeah, I don't think you can really complain about a whole lot if you're Notre Dame, unless of course you believe in curses and you've got Boston College and a certain former quarterback coming to town, or excuse me, hosting you uh, the week after you host Clemson. Yeah, and uh, if you're looking for more of a B-side, um, ominous scheduling note: Syracuse on Senior Day is uh, the last time that happened was really one of the most depressing games I've ever covered at Notre got, Dame. Got the Manti Teo. Did get the Manti Teo. And also playing just playing Syracuse in December has actually happened before. Um, Notre Dame did that in 2003 and got absolutely run off the field uh, by the Orange. I think it was Walter Reyes had like five touchdowns or something. Um, so that, that's a little bit tricky. I, but, I mean, you know, North Carolina, the Friday night um, – I'm assuming it would be Friday night. Uh, could be, I guess it could be. A could day be day. during the day. Yeah, it's Friday Black after Friday, Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah, Friday after Thanksgiving is kind of curious. Um, you know, Syracuse December fifth uh, will be a it'll be a a barren campus at that point because the students will have gone. And home. that's the first time Syracuse has come there probably since '08, right? I think because they've had multiple games moved to uh, Yankee Stadium or MetLife Stadium. I know that was a. Syracuse fans are annoyed because that's one of the better road trips that they haven't been able to make in a long time. Yeah. Won't be able to make this year, but... Yeah. yeah. I don't think anyone's making it this year, but there, there'll be extra capacity because no Notre Dame students will actually be here. Um, so, I mean... That's some, right. That's right. Some, some curiosities there, but I, again, it's... I mean, the Phil Jacob... Maybe we can get it Phil Jacob. It got his, his waiver um, approved, will be eligible, presumably will start against Notre Dame. So you get the Ian Book, Phil Jakovic competition on November 14th. Um, you know, you're sort of plugged in around Boston College a little bit. Um, was it, was it, do you, do you get a sense that was a surprise for them that uh, the former Notre Dame quarterback was actually going to be eligible this year? No, I think they're surprised it took this long. Um, I'm not sure how unique that is to his circumstances versus, um, uh, just the whole student-athlete welfare movement going on around the NCA. I mean, JT Daniels got approved very, very quickly uh, to play immediately at Georgia after transferring from USC. We've seen some other players around the country and so forth. There's never really been a whole lot of rhyme or reason um, to the NCA's decision-making process when it comes to this. It's basically who can lawyer up the best. Um, but I think, you know, BC would have been absolutely shocked and livid Uh if Phil was not ruled eligible, and they were frankly frustrated from my understanding that he even took this long. But um, if anyone follows any of BC's social channels, you could see the free jerk movement uh, going on. Um, they even teased the announcement with uh, uh, a gif of Jeff Halfley dancing in the office uh, with saying someone was free before they officially announced that, that Phil was, was eligible. Uh, and you know, from a Boston College standpoint, uh, that's huge because you don't know. I mean, it's a new coach, new program, uh, been absolutely anemic on offense really forever, um, <laughs> at least over the last two coaching regimes there. Um, and they have a guy who at least has the raw material coming out of high school to be a difference maker um, at, at quarterback, whether he 
has the tools around him and the structure and can take advantage of all of it um, and look like the guy that Brian Kelly once deemed the best high school quarterback in the class of 2018, was it, uh, over Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Um, we'll see, but I, I don't think that's a, an insignificant uh, news item by any stretch of the imagination for Boston College. And, you know, it absolutely adds to the, the layers of drama uh, Notre Dame schedule now that they are playing each other as well. Yeah, I mean, it's like Notre Dame's going to face Clemson, number one team in the country in November, gets Boston College the very next week. I mean, I don't see any reason why anything could go wrong there. Um, it's, it's, per, it's, a it's not at setup. home. It's not at home. Yeah, there's. I guess you got that going for you, but uh, oof, um, it's just a, a little bit tricky there. And, you know, the, the Kevin Austin was news was sort of the other personnel note of um, – of the week, you know, part of Phil Dracovic's recruiting class um, and has made, unfortunately, a similar impact at Notre Dame since that he enrolled. You know, the suspension last year, in and out of the lineup for some strange circumstances as a freshman. Um, now a broken foot, fifth metatarsal in his left foot, had surgery on Monday. Uh, my sources told me he's out six to eight weeks, and lo and behold, that would mean he'd be in the lineup for Florida State. Um, you would only be missing Duke, Western Michigan, and Wake Forest. And again, I, I think it's a another thing that that breaks well for Notre Dame uh, as as they sort of look at the schedule as the whole. Yeah, I mean, if that timeline is correct, I mean, it was not pleasant news to to see. I think yesterday it was when Notre Dame announced it on Twitter. Um, that's a receiving core that you know we spoken at length about Kevin Austin because they're going to need someone to step up and he seems like the most likely candidate if he's healthy and if he's eligible and which you know has not always been the case through his first two and a half mm-hmm. years so far in South Bend but uh, going through the the stat book this morning just to just to kind of reiterate how decimated or unproven I should say that this receiving core is and Look, there, there are a lot of guys on Notre Dame's roster who have caught a lot of balls. Most of them are running backs and tight ends, and that's fine, but you're going to need traditional playmakers at some point. And among returning receivers, um, you have Lawrence Keyes, 13 career catches for 134 yards. Javon McKinley, 11 career catches for 268 yards and four touchdowns. Braden Lindsey, 11 career catches, 254 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of wondered why they were going after this guy when they did, but uh, I think there's no doubt in any of our minds that he's a necessary addition. Bennett Skrownick, uh, the fifth-year senior graduate transfer from Notre Dame, who, who or excuse me, from Northwestern, who sat out most of last season with an injury, 110 career catches, 1,417 career yards, eight career touchdowns. So uh, that's uh, – I'm not good at math, but I'm assuming Skaranek's career total is more than everyone else's combined. Kevin Austin is just five for 90, but we know he has at least the physical capability to be a breakout player. Um, and that's one thing, you know, we, we've beaten this dead horse over the last year or so. The Georgia game, it was very evident. Um, Notre Dame's offense was a two-man show for much of the time. It was Chase Claypool, Cole Komet. Neither of those guys are back. Um, Ian Book could make all the improvements in the world, um, as can that offensive line. But if guys aren't going to go out there and make plays for them, um, you know, they'll still beat 80, 90% of the people on the roster, but they're not going to have a chance against the Clemsons of the world. They might struggle with the North Carolinas and Louisville's of the world if uh, they don't get better at the skill positions. And I think Kevin Austin is a very, very big, important piece of that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think... Skoranek, um, I'm with you. When they when they took him, they're like, oh, okay. I, I mean, I guess you had 
Austin going in his junior year, Lindsey going in his junior year, Keys going in his junior year. Uh, Jordan Johnson was a, is a, was a five star at one point uh, in the recruiting world. He's a he's a freshman here already. Um, I sort of looked at it as like, okay, do they need another big body receiver? And actually, I talked to Ian Book about Skoranek uh, last month, and he's like, we haven't really had anyone like him in my career here you know he's he's a bigger body like chase you know not as athletic as chase but you know similar can just go up and get it he is super smart he compared him to chris fink in terms of offensive iq and then as a route runner he said he's as crisp as kevin austin which in some ways i took as like a pretty big compliment to kevin austin um but i i look at skoranek now it's you i think if there's a if they play 11 games, I would pencil him in for 60-plus catches automatically. Um, and to sort of understand where his mindset is, I was talking to somebody who's very close to uh, Skoranek, and apparently they um, he had played golf with his dad um, just the other day. Um, or I think they talked uh, on Wednesday morning. You know, ben Skoranek didn't mention anything about Kevin Austin's injury or absence or how long he's going to be out. And this is a guy that essentially, once you remove Austin from the equation, Skronik is guaranteed to start. So I, he's just a really hard worker. Um, that was something that Ian Book mentioned to him as well. Like there isn't really anybody on the team that works as hard at understanding the playbook as Skronik does. And if you've got sort of that work ethic with, um, you know, a six foot four build, um, just sort of understands where to be. I mean, I, I think he's going to put up big numbers this fall. He may not be the kind of guy that's going to get you over the hump against Clemson, but he's certainly going to be the guy that makes you one of the reasons why you don't lose games like Duke, Western Michigan, Wake Forest, Pittsburgh, Georgia Tech, Boston College, Syracuse, like, and Notre Dame has been upset proof because they've been they've had pretty smart players um, over the last few years who are hard workers, and I think Skoranek really just fits into that mix nicely. He, by all accounts from from Northwestern folks, tested off the charts athletic wise um, pre injury last year. I mean, I think he might have been the fastest guy in that roster. Uh, if you saw twenty eighteen, uh, which would have been I think his redshirt sophomore year. Uh, Northwestern won the Big Ten West title that year, and they won it by they clinched it by winning at Iowa in a low scoring game that was maybe fourteen to ten. And he had the what ended up being the game winning touchdown, which was a back you know one handed, not quite Odell Beckham, but like it was one of those November Iowa Midwestern days where no one could even fall forward without fumbling, and <laughs> he makes a incredible. Uh, one-handed touchdown grab to, to clinch the division for them. This guy can play. He can absolutely play. And he, I believe he's cousins with TJ Green, Northwestern's quarterback, who's the son of Trent Green, former NFL quarterback. I mean, you talk about smart players. I mean, there's one right there. Um, I think we, we were both guilty of underestimating him when we first heard him on Notre Dame's radar on the grad transfer market. But uh, the opportunities will absolutely be there. And to your point, 60 catches a year. Um, uh, this year, yeah, I, I, mean, I think that – should be an expectation at this point. Um, I know Claypool at 66. I'm not saying he'll be right there, but Komet had 43 as a tight end and missed two games last year. I think when you look at um, the lack of proven people on this roster for, from a receiver standpoint, uh, like I, I like Braden Lindsay. I do like some of the guys on this roster. They just haven't been consistent and shown it throughout the course of a season yet. 
and been a Skronik has for three plus seasons now. So I, I don't think 60 catches is um, aiming too high if you're you're trying to uh, predict where he'll be this year. No, it's you know statistically uh, he's not going to match I think Claypool for touchdowns, but uh, in terms of receptions, it wouldn't surprise me if he he went over that mark. Um, you know, it's I, I just think that's the way the offense is going to be built around. And he's got a good relationship with Tommy Reese as well. Um, you know, he remembers Reese from his recruitment at Northwestern. I think Reese was a GA back then. So I think there's just – I think he's going to be one of those grad transfers that really surprises people. Uh, and maybe he won't be a surprise if you listen to this podcast and be like, oh, yeah, Matt and Pete were talking about this Five guy. stars, folks. Yes, Five stars. Exactly. Um, but I, I just think he's going to be critical to the offense. I Okay, one thing I, I, I want to – I did a reaction piece on Notre Dame's schedule, and I put this in there, and I'm curious if you agree or not. The way the schedule sets up, it's ACC championship game or bust. Um, If Notre Dame is going to view this season as a success, it has to be playing in Charlotte in December. Agree or disagree? absolutely agree. Um, It sounds crazy to say because we're talking about Notre Dame in a conference title game, but um, they're so far above and beyond – better both coaching wise depth wise talent wise and everyone not named Clemson in that league um and I don't want to look I mean that Friday game at North Carolina I I think will ultimately prove to be like the play-in game for the ACC title game because I think those are probably the two best candidates to face Clemson um and look Friday game Black Friday road game talented young team that has a rock star of a quarterback who was a freshman All-American last year and has been recruiting crazy good. Uh, I I don't want to write North Carolina off just like that, but they are in just their second year under Mack Brown and we're coming off terrible, terrible seasons uh, at the end of the Larry Fedora tenure there. There, There's still, there's talent on that roster, but it should not be at the level at which Notre Dame should not be expected to beat them. Um, Now we saw Carolina come a bad two-point conversion play away from beating Clemson last year and probably reshaping the entire college football playoff structure if that happens. But um, you can't not at least predict or expect Notre Dame to be in the ACC title game this year. Yeah, I, just, I, I, the, they, the, they beat. I mean, you've put the numbers out there, and they, the last three years they're a known quantity. And if you're a known quantity, you can't lose any of these teams. You can't. I, yeah, I believe that they've won. 24 straight against unranked competition and they're 14 and one against non-Clemson ACC opponents the last three years with Miami being that exception. I mean, look it North Carolina, they get a lot of mileage out of the Clemson loss and they should. I mean, I think that proved a ton. It gave them a lot of credibility. They also lost to Wake Forest. They lost to App State. They lost to Virginia Tech. They lost to Virginia. They lost to Pittsburgh. Um, I've, yeah, their their wins are were, last year were they blew out Temple in the Military Bowl, they beat NC State who's terrible, they beat Mercer, uh, they beat Duke by three points which Notre Dame absolutely destroyed, um, they beat Georgia Tech who was terrible, and they be, they beat Miami and South Carolina which were weird at the beginning of the year, um, and those that was a four point win over South Carolina and a three point win over Miami so I'm not gonna get too carried away with that that stuff but um but they're they're, my they're on the is, they're, they're on the come they're, I, well, they're, they're, that's a team on the rise they're capable the yes same, and 
For I, sure. I put them above Pittsburgh, but like Pittsburgh would be the first trap game, if you will, that I circle on this schedule. Because Pittsburgh under Pat Narduzzi is going to, at the very least, come really, really close to upsetting someone they have no business upsetting. They've already upset. They're the last team to win at Clemson. They did it in 2016. Uh, they beat Penn State that same year, too, which ended up winning the Big Ten title that year. They ended UCF's uh, regular season winning streak last year. Uh, and, you know, they, they frankly should have beat Notre Dame in 2018, the year Notre Dame went to the playoff. I mean, they're, they're, they are a very kind of schizophrenic-type program. They, they play to their competition, which is why they finish close to 500 every year, because they win games they shouldn't, <laughs> and they follow up by losing games they shouldn't. And so it would not shock me at all to see them give Notre Dame – uh, in Pittsburgh, a week after Notre Dame plays a really talented Louisville team, it, at, which comes after Florida State, who, if nothing else, is talented. Uh, I mean, if we're, we're circling, tra- I wouldn't even call North Carolina a trap game because that, like, the stakes will be evident by that point. Yeah. And they're coming off a bye. You're, you're not but looking P- ahead P- to Syracuse. Pittsburgh and maybe Louisville uh, would be the two I circle as far as like, I think that yeah, three, I mean, that three game stretch Florida State, Louisville, Pittsburgh, home to Florida State, home to Louisville at Pittsburgh. That's tough. Um, you know, that's that's where I think Notre Dame is going to either different. It's, they're either just going to have like oh, they're okay, or they're really good. Um, that you have to sweep those three games uh, if you're going to meet your own expectations this year. Because if you lose any of them, well, if you lose any of them, it means you're probably not good enough to beat Clemson at home on November seventh. Um, and at that point, you know, Notre Dame making the ACC championship game with two losses seems pretty unlikely, um, especially because North Carolina does not play Clemson. Louisville does not play Clemson. Um, that could be, that's going to be difficult. So I, I, th- I do think Notre Dame should be undefeated when Clemson visits on November 7th, uh, if they're as good as they think they are. The, they would be 7-0 and at that point. Clemson, I'm sure, will be undefeated as well. Um, and that, that's, that's the game we all want to see. I have zero qualms with that uh, prediction. I, I think that's that should be the expectation. When you look at Notre Dame 2.0, Brian Kelly 2.0, the way the program has played the last three seasons, um, yes, they win the games they should, and they lose the ones they should too, um, which is why, yes, I think, uh, t- I was going to say 11-1, 10-1, going into the ACC title game should be the expectation here if you're Notre Dame. If you get more, if you be Clemson, obviously, great, but uh, I think, uh, yeah, th- those are games they need to win. Absolutely. Um, I-, I can't wait until, um, not necessarily, they-, they don't have Navy, by the way, which we- we've talked about the body blow effect a lot. Like, that game takes a whole lot out of you, even if it doesn't show up in the scoreboard the next week or in the standings the next week. I mean, I, I think that makes life a lot easier for Notre Dame. Uh, I-, I do look forward to the, I would say, annual weekly well, you know, we may be favored this week, but it's Notre Dame and everyone's giving us their best shot. Well, you can believe you're getting them this year because everyone in that league wants to kick their ass and make sure they're not representing them in Charlotte in the ACC title game. And, and, and no one will want to do that more than Pat Narduzzi and probably Florida State and Louisville too. So, Yeah, maybe there will be some uh, sharing of notes and game plans among uh, ACC coaches uh, to, to ensure that Notre Dame doesn't make it to Charlotte because I, I can think of no, no more annoying fate. I mean, if you thought that it was annoying for ACC coaches when Notre Dame took the bid to the Camping World Bowl from somebody. Um, 
when they get a slot in the ACC championship game, it would be much, much worse. But it's or the or the Orange Bowl if they oh go ten and two with two losses to Clemson. Yeah, because <laughs> if you make the ACC championship game, you're going to the Orange Bowl. Um, yeah, I mean, at look at Virginia worst. last year. Yeah, exactly. So it, that's that's difficult. It's strange to me to put Notre Dame into like this sort of before the season starts, it's this or bust mentality because I think for the most part. Maybe you disagree, but like making the playoff is is an aspirational goal. Like I don't think Notre Dame had a bad season last year because they didn't make the playoff. I don't think Notre Dame had a bad season in 2015 because they didn't make the playoff. But the ACC championship game to me is like that's a bar you you have to clear that. Um, it, regardless of the fact that it's a once in a lifetime, hopefully opportunity, um, you just have to do that. Um, I. If I'm ever in the Goog this year, I want a picture of the uh, the schedule montage that they have running down the left side. I don't know. Well, if they... No, they, well it's on their website now. Did you see uh, it? No, I haven't. Uh, oh, they have it right now. It says ACC championship game, then the semifinal, then the national championship. Okay. UND.com, ahead of the game. Let, <laughs> let's make it happen, Notre Dame. I want to be in Charlotte twice so we can have beers with uh, our producer, John Hayes. That's right. <laughs> Um, That's right. We could do this in his office like I did uh, <laughs> last year. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I guess before we get out of here, any other, any other bigger picture views on the ACC schedule? You know, I think we talked a little bit about Clemson. Clemson's road actually getting somewhat harder because they don't have a bye week before, an idle week before Notre Dame. But was there anything else that really struck you about the way the ACC put this together? No, I, I'm surprised Clemson Notre Dame to get moved up uh, for the reasons mentioned in, in uh, that I mentioned earlier, looking at the Big Ten, but you do see like Virginia and Virginia Tech are playing in Week Two. Like that's um, that's interesting, right? That's an inter, uh, an in-state rivalry that's always been played in the last game of the year. Last year it ended up being a de facto division championship game uh, that got moved up. So I'm surprised they didn't do that with more of the, the traditional rivalries or, or bigger games. Um, three ACC schools still have Liberty on the schedule. Um, don't know why. Notre Dame, I guess, could have done that too since they're all in it together as an independent, but um, I'm glad they didn't. Uh, and I think to your earlier point, I think Notre Dame has proven itself as a program and earned the right to uh, for us to demand that they make the ACC title game or bust. I don't think that's an expectation you can back away from. And I'll be curious to see how that carrot, if you will, gets dangled Um throughout the course of the season. If they lose a game here or things don't look great, all of our goals are still in front of us. You I remember never, you in 2015. You Dame. don't hear it. You don't. I remember in 2015, clearly the playoff was a goal and they were in the picture until the last play of the regular season. But they would always say like, well, our ultimate goal is still alive and we, we'll, we, you know, we don't want to distract from our ultimate goal. And we'd be like, hey, Joe Schmidt, what's that? And he'd just be like, I can't talk about that. And it's like, come on. Joe Schmidt now, never said he couldn't talk about something. <laughs> Now it is uh, readily apparent for everyone. Um, there is a date and a, a location circled on their calendar. Um, maybe they could do some scouting when they play Wake Forest there uh, at the end of September, which I cannot believe that game is still in Charlotte yeah, what? and not on campus. Makes no Why? sense. Why? Georgia Tech you know, moved the Mercedes-Benz Stadium game. Because that game's uh, not sponsored by Mayonnaise. <laughs> that's correct. The Duke, the Duke Mayo Classic. My apologies to... Non-podcast sponsor, Duke's Mayos, for not acknowledging them as the uh, sponsor of the... the sponsor of a regular season game. game in September. 
Notre Dame Wake Forest it, sponsored it, by It better Mary's. be a classic. It's sandwiched between Western Michigan and a bye. So uh, Notre Dame really will overlook this one. Groan. <laughs> That's a just terrible pun. I wonder what the well, spread will be, though. Um, I guess <laughs> we'll be back probably, I would think, next week because Notre Dame, starts, believe it or not, is going to try to start training camp. Um, well, and were, students are moving in this week, right? Yeah, and ideally. Start Monday? They are they are already here, uh, and classes start on Monday. So it um, there's a lot there's going to be a lot happening around here. Stay my, in your office. Pete. Yeah, do not I went leave. running. I went running around the lakes on Monday because I figured it was the last time I would be on campus for some time um, without wearing a mask and running with a mask is a little tricky. But uh, Notre Dame, I think in an ideal world, we'll, we'll start training camp a week from tomorrow. Um, you know, under normal circumstances. I would be expecting a Brian Kelly press conference tomorrow and a first practice Saturday or Sunday. Um, you know, they, so I believe they will end up pushing everything back, but uh, not sure what access is going to look like. I think there's going to be a lot of Zoom calls. If they practice in the stadium, we might be able to attend, hang out in our own section, um, stay away from everybody and, and observe practice that way. We'll see. But um, I don't know. It, it feel. As much as I think our emergency podcast felt good last week because we were talking about football, um, this one is even better because now I don't know if a season is going to happen, but if but if it does, now we know what it's going to look like and it's exciting. So I'm I'm all for full steam ahead and hopefully hopefully this all can happen. Yeah, I say bring it on. Um, 2007 has always kind of been the the benchmark for like just wacky, crazy seasons that make no sense. And Still without bloated. even playing a game yet, I think we can put 2020 in that same category, especially if it ends with Notre Dame playing and perhaps even winning a conference championship uh, that they will place in an undisclosed location on campus to mm-hmm. never be seen again. <laughs> It all feels very real now. So on that note, we'll wrap up this episode of The Shamrock. Uh, thanks again for listening again. A second reminder, if, if you're one to give reviews, a five-star review, a, a Kyle Hamilton review, if you will, um, would be very much appreciated on Apple or iTunes, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. It helps with the show and moving forward. So I think our next podcast, knock on wood here, we'll be talking about Notre Dame's training camp Um perhaps some observation of practice, some interviews with Brian Kelly and players. Uh, but the season feels like it might just happen, um, or at least we're going to move forward with it. So I've never, I've never looked more forward to your tweet-a-thon during Brian <laughs> Kelly's opening press conference, <laughs> measuring the heights and weight changes of everyone, which will <sighs> certainly be a little bit different this year considering everyone was working out remotely. But yeah, I never thought that, that I would miss that kind of information, but I do. Um, so... Hopefully next time we, we talk to you, I'll be, I can discuss whether Aaron Banks is up or down in weight and how Kyle Hamilton looks. So hopefully our next episode, Shamrock, coming next week and, and Notre Dame's training camp will be around the corner too. So until then, thanks for listening. He's Matt Fortuna. I'm Pete Sampson, and you have been listening to The Shamrock. Thank you.